moral wisdom for a deeper human life, shared insights. Welcome to All Things Intriguing with your host, Dr. Ray Newkirk. That's me. Applied Moral Wisdom, Episode 10. We're in the summary. We're on Part 11 of the summary. Moral wisdom can become complicated. We talk a lot about simplicity. We talk about simplifying our lives, making better decisions, having better relationships. Really great reasons to apply moral wisdom. But the trouble with doing things more simply, it's kind of complicated sometimes to be able to prepare ourselves to do that. So as we move deeper into adulthood, we can be, begin, I guess, I guess this way, and although we're doing it our whole life, but we begin really more seriously to refine our moral wisdom so that we can discern the corrective guilt that enables us to adopt morally wise behaviors. And we can distinguish it from self-punishing guilt that emerges from life's childhood interjections. Remember when I talked about that, that we learned so many things as a child, that when we grow up, some of these things are not really functional, they don't work for us, and we develop all kinds of guilt doing things that are not wrong, but our parents might have thought they were wrong, or somebody at school might have taught us something, or some religious figure or somebody else might have said, you don't do this and you don't do that. Well, children don't, but adults might be able to do that. So we get involved in these kind of issues as we, as we grow older. But we have to refine our moral wisdom so that we know what's really applied moral wisdom and what's an accidental moral wisdom, something that we might not want to apply that maybe we had to do as children. Okay? So we can have corrective guilt. That's the kind of guilt we get when we do nothing wrong that we're an adult that we felt really guilty about when we were young. For example, don't leave the door open, Johnny, when you have the air conditioning on. So now you're an adult, 35 years old, and for a minute you leave the air conditioning on and you have the door open. And you feel really guilty, right? Where, where does that come from? That's not morally wrong. In fact, it could even be right in certain circumstances to leave your door open with the air conditioning on. You know? So think about it. As we move deeper into adulthood, we begin to experience so many conflicts that we didn't have as children because in children, somebody would just yell at us and we'd either do it or we didn't. We'd either get in trouble or we'd be obedient. But we developed certain guilts from that. They were interjections. So as we grow older into adulthood, we can begin to refine our moral wisdom, be more practical, reasonable, so we can discern our corrective guilt that enables then enables us to adopt morally wise behaviors from the self-punishing guilt that emerges from life's childhood interjections. See? So there's a difference. There's different kinds of guilt it comes from different places. The guilt that comes from some social convention is often a kind of a egocentric thing from some self-reflective awareness that doesn't have anything to do with our conscience about right and wrong. It has to do with our we violating an interjection from some influential person and that makes us feel really bad? Or is it really coming from a conflict of right versus wrong? And our conscience is telling us not to do that. And we feel bad for that reason. So we have to be able to 
refine our moral wisdom so we can get rid of the interjections if they're not about good and bad. And we can grow up a little bit more. So I can remember as a child, there were things I was taught you don't do. And they became interjections. You know, like say grace before meals or all kinds of things. Did you shine your shoes properly? Shine your shoes, you know, like you're going to pass inspection. Okay. Did you mow the grass? Well, all kinds of things like that, that if you didn't do, you develop this thing like your, your lawn should always look neat. That's not so much about right and wrong as that is about it's good in a particular situation. So, so applied moral wisdom is not about finding faith in things bigger than oneself. It's not about the deeper meaning of uh, parental guidance versus school teacher guidance or what the principal thinks or even what you read on the TV or, or hear on the TV or read in the newspaper. It's not about faith in things bigger than ourselves, like why am I here? Why is there not nothing? You know, the things we've talked about at other times. It's not about finding those kind of answers, moral wisdom. It's a lot about one good versus another good. It's about prudence, not hurting people. Applied moral wisdom is not about finding faith in things bigger than ourselves, like the deep mysteries of life. And the meaning that comes from you being different than you are and not being somebody else. It is about finding ways to simplify one's life by forming and enjoying rewarding relationships with family, friends, and colleagues and workmates. Yeah, that's what it's about, I think, when you think about it. Moral wisdom is about relationships. Finding ways to simplify one's life by forming and enjoying rewarding relationships with family, friends, and colleagues. It's about knowing how to be polite to strangers. Might not be what your mommy and daddy told you. It's about overcoming prejudices and overcoming weaknesses of attitude. It's not so much about saying, why am I here? Why is there not nothing? Look at the universe and look where we are. It's really about adopting the good life as a moral life. About living in ways that simplify your life so you don't, know, you don't make bad decisions and have to live with those. You know? So, let me repeat. Moral wisdom can become complicated. Yes. We all agree to that. That's why a lot of people choose not to be moral. It's a choice. Or they choose to be less moral because they want an easy way out. Not a simple way out. They want an easy way out, which is really the hardest way out. Not the way of a human being. As we move deeper into adulthood, we can begin to refine our moral wisdom. So are we refining our moral wisdom? Can we tell the difference about the feelings we have when we have guilt? Where does it come from? You know? Is it just an interjection? Or is it some false moral belief? Where does our guilt come from? Is it reasonable? Is it rational? I'll give you a, a moral question. 
What's more important, justice or fidelity? Hmm? Think about that. Both cardinal virtues. What's more important, justice or fidelity? Faithfulness is really important, right? Justice is really important. Can you be just and not faithful? Can you be faithful and not just? These are important questions. And as we realize the answers to these questions and adopt them, our life will become simpler. We'll live a more relaxed life by finding and forming and enjoying rewarding relationships. And remember, when we were born, we had that existential hunger for relationships, right? So you won't be able to do that without moral wisdom. You can't just, as you grow older in life, accept everybody and deal with them the same way. You have to be knowledgeable. You have to be discerning. You have to be able to refine your thinking. You have to know who to watch out for and you have to learn from your mistakes. We know all of that. See? So, Hello, thanks for listening. Welcome to my podcast. It will be far-ranging, challenging, surprising, insightful, informative, and even interesting. It is brought to you by Systems Management Institute in Orlando, Florida. Check us out at www.smirsp.com. Now, so far we've been talking about a lot of stuff and discussing issues and raising objections and questions, and they've been far-ranging. You know, like, why are we here and when we were born and about interjections, about morals and principles and virtues and cardinal virtues. This is no doubt challenging. Some of it is surprising. We've shared a lot of insight, given a lot of information. It's even been interesting. So I think we're on target there with what we want it to be, and I think we're becoming that. Not all, everybody sees everything the same way, and I think that's interesting. Isn't that intriguing? All right. Thank goodness we're not all the same, huh? That would just be absolutely terrible. How boring, right? Just think about it. If everybody was exactly the same, it'd be, we'd, we would have been mass-produced on an assembly line. You know, gosh, how boring that would be. It's like you can have a superstar in the office, a really good worker, but one is enough. We don't need another Mr. or Miss X, Y, Z, right? Very, very good. You know, if you go back 20 years ago, they used to say when you hire 10 people, if three were really good and competent, you'd done quite well. Because seven will just get by. Somebody told me the other day, a ex former executive of a really big corporation, where it used to be three out of 10, it's now one out of 10. If you get one person out of 10 who's really good, you're, qu you're quite successful. And think about this. If you go back 30 years ago and I would say to you, we're going to grow a multi-billion dollar company and have less than 2,000 employees, you would say I was nuts. Wow. Well, guess what? That's even more possible than ever before. And you can do it with 100 employees. You don't have to have 
a thousand or two thousand with the internet and new ways of investing and the speed of things and the multiplication of information and the shared visions that are out there now and the new kinds of business models we can design and implement. It is possible to grow a billion dollar company in less than five years with less than a thousand employees. That's really remarkable. You know, I know I was talking to a guy the other day who said to me, in the future, everybody will be their own corporation and they'll be all connected and they'll be all di doing different things for somebody else because more and more people will be self-employed and developing things and selling things. I mean, on the Internet now, art is becoming a an art, serious art form. Graphics on the Internet, you can sell any of these graphic reproductions or not reproductions, but originals for millions of dollars. Isn't that something? You can go out there and look at a graphical piece of art that an artist created. He might have painted it using traditional methods of art, then takes it and gets it produced as a graphic online, then destroys his original piece and sells the graphic online as the original of his work and get millions of dollars. Think about this guy that started Twitter. He sold his first tweet, the first tweet he ever did on Twitter. You know, Jack Dempsey, is that his name? Like the boxer? For over two and a half million bucks, for about 2.42. I forget what it was. I lost track when I was counting the money. Joking, just of course. But it's about two and a half million dollars. His first tweet. Who would ever thought that would have any value? Give me a break. I mean, people have nothing to do with their money. Or you got people like Snoop Doggy Dog, is that his name? Buying a graphic from the internet, online graphic, a graphic done, a digital graphic of a character, a cartoon character, for half a million dollars so he can put it on his Twitter, his logo, his Twitter account as a logo. Half a million dollars. And I could go on and on and on with these stories. So somebody out there is producing these things they are getting all that kind of money and they're doing it with a handful of people and they're making millions and millions of dollars. Think about that. When this stuff really takes off someday, you might be able to produce a billion dollar company online selling graphic art with 10 people doing a billion dollars a year as a single company. Yeah. So you see how the things are changing? The internet thing, the computer thing is really changing the world of business and the world of human relationships and the world of education and taxation and currency. Yeah, I can go on and on and on. Also crime. The trouble with the internet is you have criminals out there that can do things really, really, really fast. It's the speed of things that happened on the internet. I remember when we had the banking crash. Some of these banks went really bad because of the internet. They lost so much money so quickly. There were so many withdrawals online rapidly. It hurt really banks. They could shut down quick enough. See, I think like that. Maybe Bank of the West or something like that. One of those banks would really hurt because of the internet. 
bad information. It wasn't even accurate. And people responded and withdrew their money from the banks. They almost became insolvent. That quick, in a single afternoon, in a few hours. Wow, kind of dangerous. You know, I tell people that we might have to get back to the days when we didn't have connected systems. That will kind of stop the hackers. We might have to go back to the simpler days. Maybe the criminal mind will keep this from working. We don't know yet. But I remember uh, if you go back 15 years ago, they were talking about two internets. One for this and one for that. Make it more difficult for the criminals. Certain things you'll have only on one internet, certain things only on the other. Now we're talking about Web 3.0 and all that stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm really talking about an internet for developers, an internet for people that sell books, an internet for this and an internet, but they're all separate internets. Not intermingled, not integrated. Hmm? So, we're thinking about, right? So today we're going to talk about some questions and answers. We're going to talk about four questions about deep spirituality. You've heard me talk about spirituality. I'm not saying religion here. You people that are offended by religion. But you are a spiritual being, whether you like it or not. You know, because you can't take love and put it in a box and sell it to somebody. It's not a material possession. It's a decision. So test your knowledge of applied moral wisdom by answering the four questions I'm about to ask. This will tell you how much you've learned about applied moral wisdom and how much close, well, how closer you are to being able to simplify your life. You know? So Q&As, friends. Let's do some Q&As. First question. I only want to be a spiritual being, so who cares about gentleness? So why should I care about gentleness if I'm more important, if I'm more interested in spirituality? Well, did you know gentleness will prevent spiritual confusion? You know why that is? Think about it a minute. How can gentleness prevent spiritual confusion? I'm going to have a drink of water. What do you think about that? Well, if you're gentle, you're not as judgmental, right? And you're not as mean as other people who are not gentle. And you're not super aggressive when attacking other people. You see? And spiritual confusion leads to a lot of that stuff. You're good to yourself. You're not harsh on yourself. You're not so judgmental. You know, you better look at yourself objectively and kindly and other people more kindly. You will kind of project your goodness onto others. You see that? 
I think that's pretty interesting. Gentleness reduces potential unforeseen consequences in living the spiritual life. Isn't that neat? I kind of just outlined some of that, didn't I? said it in a different way. But gentleness reduces potential unforeseen consequences in living the spiritual life. Well, first of all, first of all, you're not judgmental. You don't say I'm right and you're wrong. You don't say if you don't believe what I do, I'm going to do you in. You don't talk about killing others who disagree with you. Because you really don't care if they disagree with you. It's not that important. You learn to exercise your power more maturely. Like if you're in a democracy, you vote wisely. You know, what was written a long time ago, right? For democracy to work, the citizens have to be informed. So you can make informed decisions. Think about the media you listen to and the things that you follow. You better be very careful, especially today, because media isn't about the news. It's a business. It's about getting many viewers and they're saying do what they got to to get viewers so they can make more money from the advertisements. It's not about news. If you're really a news company, you don't talk so much about profit. You might even be a non-profit because you want to inform and educate with the news. And you make it very different to news versus in an editorial, editorializing. You know, here's the news. Hello, this is Ray Newkirk at 7 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Today there was a two-car collision on the freeway. Three people were hurt, and there details later. That's a news story. Here's a news story. That's not a news story. You know, I think if this guy was driving uh, an Etzel from the 1970s, he probably would have been more careful because that's such a valuable car. He probably wouldn't have been driving so reckless to cause that accident when he ran into that old lady because he was too busy drinking while he was driving. And I think that potentially awful if this guy had gone to the right school and adopted the right philosophy in life, probably he would have joined the Marine Corps and guarded the country. News. See, that's not news. That's gibberish. That's a lot of stuff you get. It is news today. You ever wonder about these CEOs of these media companies? I don't even know how they keep their jobs because it certainly can't be based on the bottom line. Or, wow. But, see, gentleness reduces potential unforeseen consequences living a spiritual life because it's a kind of wisdom. A gentleness is a certain kind of wisdom that keeps you out of trouble. You see, gentleness expands the range of spirituality and love of the sacred. And who's the sacred? We are. You know, you're sacred. We've had this discussion. Don't get a big head, right? We are all sacred beings. How we treat each other is a reflection on our love of the sacred. We have to be really smart, right? Because we have to manage our boundaries. We can't just be so open with our boundaries we let anybody in. We can't be so close with our boundaries we miss out on making good friendships. You see? And to manage our boundaries properly, what's required? 
Yeah, moral wisdom comes down to the cardinal virtues, right? Like justice, fidelity, things like that. So, first question. I only want to be spiritual. Who cares about gentleness? Spiritual people do. That's the answer. People who really want to be spiritual care about gentleness. Gentleness prevents spiritual confusion. It reduces the potential unforeseen consequences in living a spiritual life. Isn't that an amazing statement? Reduces the potential unforeseen consequences of living this. What consequences of living this spiritual life? What the heck am I talking about, right? Gentleness reduces potential unforeseen consequences in living this spiritual life. I'll give you one consequence of living a spiritual life. You only live a part of it and become fanatical about it. You see, you don't broaden your expansive thinking. You don't deepen because you think you found the truth. I remember one time I had an acquaintance who was really heavy into a spiritual thing. A movement, he called it. And it was a movement. And he would come up with all these claims. All these really, really important claims about he didn't have to eat anymore. He would be able to levitate. You know that one. Right? He could intuit things and he could do this and do that. Well, of course, he couldn't do any of that. Right? He tried. He would, he would do this stuff and he would meditate so he could levitate. So I would ask him, then what? What? How's that going to simplify your life? What? Levitation. So if you levitate, does that mean by your mind you can fly anywhere you want at the speed of light? If you go really high in the sky, if you levitate, how far up can you go? Are you going to get cold? He said, what are you talking about? I said, are, are you going to be able to encapsulate yourself in some kind of force field that protects you from the elements as you levitate and meditate and fly maybe to Detroit, Michigan from Orlando. Because you can now levitate. Like if you levitate, are you going to go anywhere? Hadn't I, he had not thought about all that. You see? So what's the point of levitation? Tell me, is it going to make you a better employee? Is your boss calls you, are you going to levitate to him? What? I said, it's just a self-centered, self-directed thing. A form of selfishness by which you will say, I'm better than everybody else. It was that, right? That's what it was about right there. The guy had an inferiority complex and figured out if he could levitate, he'd be great. I guess he would have ran for president. Of course, I will tell you, he followed this movement for a couple of years. Spent some money. Spent a lot of time. Had his mantra, but he could never levitate. Yeah, poor guy. So one of his unforeseen consequences in living the spiritual life is he thought spirituality was some kind of altered state of living that made him better than everyone else because he could do something they couldn't. The sad thing about that is he could already do things other people couldn't do. Just like me, I could do things he couldn't do. And just like you, 
You could do things I can't do because they're all specially different. Isn't that great? You see, but the unforeseen consequences is that our mental life can get out of balance for some other reason. And we'll focus on that and call that our spiritual life. You know. But true gentleness, authentic gentleness, mature gentleness expands the range of spirituality and love of the sacred. It doesn't cut us off from one another. I once visited a monastery in South Carolina of Trappist monks. Small community. This is a group that prays all the time, meditates, gets up at 2 in the morning, and they work really, really hard in manual labor. They talk very little. Usually they're silent. And so I visited for a few days and the thing that I found out about them that was so interesting is how gentle they are and how concerned about everybody they are. I mean, they prayed for everybody, not just themselves. They prayed. Their faith was such that they prayed for humanity with a deep love because they saw humanity is sacred, created by the hand of God. Of course, they'd have to see it as sacred, right? So although they lived in a monastery, and they were separate from the world that you and I live in. And they were gentle people. They were expanded in their range of spirituality. Because they were praying for everybody, everyday people they never even met were in their prayers and in their attentions. They wanted people to be healthy. They wanted them to have a good life. They wanted them to be full of love and to be loved. Wanted them to be forgiven and be kind. The great things about being a human being that we have the potential to be is what they were all for. They weren't about judgment and fire and brimstone and all of that stuff that some preachers are about. They were about love of the sacred. I mean, they prayed for me, for heaven's sakes. Isn't that nice? And they prayed for everybody else. That's even nicer. But we have to be strong enough and secure enough in our psychology not to live a false spiritual life, which is full of unforeseen consequences, you know? So keep that in mind. You say, I only want to be spiritual. Who cares about gentleness? Well, if you really want to be spiritual, why would you even ask that question? For heaven's sakes. Second question. There's what people ask me. I'm not making these questions up out of thin air. Is living the spiritual life and being gentle separate states? Can you be gentle without being spiritual? Or can you be spiritual and never be gentle? Are they actually concurrent states of a single lifestyle? So they are, are they just degrees of the same old thing? Something else. That's a pretty complicated question, isn't it? Can you be a spiritual person without being gentle? Hmm? Here's one. Here's, here's a good answer. 
Can you be loving without being gentle? Can you be a loving person and your mark of love is abusing the other? Hmm? Well, first of all, that's not gentle. And that kind of love isn't love. It's abuse. It's a spiritual, it's not material, folks, and it comes from a value that somebody has and it might be sick. But spirituality can be bad. Gentleness cannot be if it's gentle. Gentleness, if it's genuine, authentic. Spirituality can be bad. You see, in Christianity, they call it sin. You can do a spiritual act, like hate somebody. Sinful. But still a spiritual act. Negative spiritual act, not positive. Not uplifting. It won't help you. It'll make you feel bad. You know, it's like a person who lives their entire life every day. And they think to be a better person, they have to drink some concoction that they absolutely despise. But he knows or she knows through the self-discipline of drinking this terrible flavored drink that they'll be a better person. But they hate it so much, they spend the first three hours of the day with the terrible taste in their mouth. And they hate it so much, it makes them impatient. And they have to work really, really hard just to say good morning to you when they come to work. And you think, wow, what's wrong with that person? And then all of a sudden, one day, they find out they're out. No more bad drink. They're out of it. So they have to drink something they like. And they come in with a smile on their face. And they never realized what the price they were paying. To drink that drink. Well, sometimes life is like that in the spiritual life, right? There's certain acts that you do that you think are spiritual that are so important to doing. That fundamentally changes you in a way that becomes a burden just to exist. When it was never really necessary. The, the true spiritual life, the authentic spiritual life, simplifies your life. Improving your decision making. Because it's tied to moral wisdom. Which leads to a type of gentleness. You see? So, is the living the spiritual life and being gentle separate states? Yeah. Because you can have a bad spiritual life. You can be hateful and you're not going to be gentle unless you're being manipulative. But then that's not really gentle. That's evil. And you're doing that to just use people and hurt them. There is bad, bad spirituality. You see? That's why I like to talk about gentleness. And love of the sacred. Because that keeps you on the path to positive spirituality that helps you. That grows you. Develops you. That makes you unique. Makes you better. Makes you more loving. Simplifies your life. Or spirituality and gentleness concurrent states of a single lifestyle. So what would that be? Well, you're gentle. And spiritual at the same time. So the current states, right? Being spiritual is a state of life. By the way, you cannot not be spiritual. You'd have to be dead. Or comatose. You live in a mental state that's spiritual. You see. You know about things outside the mind. You know what beauty is. You know truth when you hear it. They are concurrent states. 
Hopefully, that's what I've been talking about. Are they actually concurrent states of a single lifestyle? Now, what's the single lifestyle? Can be. Maybe not. They are certainly current states. But it might be with a complex lifestyle, but it might be a complex lifestyle of where you adhere to grow in your spirituality and live a deeply committed spiritual life consistently in thought and action. Consistently in thought and action. So there you are. So that's really a complex question. You should be able to start answering questions like that by now. I have an interesting cat named Noel. Biggest cat anybody ever saw. They say it looks like a mountain lion. And my cat just walked in to get my attention. And he turned on and off speakers I have to a music player. Isn't that amazing? It's really a smart cat, you know. Just really smart. And he's really a handsome guy. So maybe he'll leave me alone while I can face this. Gaining gentleness is an approach to becoming holy. You know what holy means? Being complete. Being consistent in thought and action. Yeah. You know? Gaining gentleness is an approach to become holy. That means complete. Honest. Consistent in thought and action. I love that. Huh? Being able to do self-care. A cardinal virtue. Self-care. Being able to take care of oneself. Being strong, not codependent, not weak. Gentleness and spirituality can be separate or concurrent in a way where one enriches the other. By gentleness, you become more spiritual. By becoming more spiritual, you become more gentle. One feeds the other. You can become spiritual one day. You can think, well, you've never been spiritual in your life. Not recognize it in your life. It's not been part of your cognitive lifestyle. So you're going to change. I'm going to start with gentleness. I want to become a more gentle person. All of a sudden, that starts enriching you. And all of a sudden, you want to be an honest person, right? And all of a sudden, you want to live a moral life. So gentleness, that decision to be gentle, expanded your range of spirituality. And as you become more spiritual, you become more gentle. As you become more gentle, you become more spiritual. One enriches the other. And you grow. And you adopt more virtues. Isn't that neat? Because we're growing. Things emerge in us. We're bigger than even we know. It all depends on where you are in your ability to remain mindful of the presence of the sacred. If people really don't matter to you at all, nobody matters to you, then you don't matter to yourself. And you haven't figured that out yet. You just think you do. Because if you really matter to yourself, people would matter to you. Because they have so much to offer in terms of love and nurturing and kindness and interest and excitement and ovation. You know, have to wake up. It depends on where you are in your ability to remain mindful of the presence of the sacred. Do you believe you're sacred? That you're unique? 
that you have something unique to offer that's good and noble and worthy? You see? Well, so do others. Are you the kind of person that somebody should have as their friend? Remember, I ask that all the time. You know? Wow. I cannot, I'll tell you, here's an experiment for you. Go around and ask people you know. Are you the kind of person that should have people as a friend? Should people choose to be your friend? Of course, that's questionable. Just leave them. What? What are you talking about? Are you insulting me? You know? I'm just curious if you've ever asked yourself that question. But you got to be careful who you ask, right? Because <laughs> if you have somebody like that who never even thought about the importance of friendship, they're only going to get angry with you and don't want to fight probably, right? Because they're hostile anyway. That's why people don't matter to them. They're not happy with themselves. You know? So, where are you in your ability to remain mindful of the presence of the sacred? The other day, I went and got some gasoline at a place called BJ's. So, you have all these cars. This is like a little regular gas station, right? And then you have all the cars lined up. And then you have a little bit of a road right there. And then right across the road is the cashier's office where sometimes if you can't get a receipt, you go there and ask for a receipt. Or if you have a problem, you can go ask or help you solve the problem with a pump or something. You know, a lot of these places have that. And so right next to her in the back of her building, and it's a really small little little thing, they're like an office, is, of course, a public restroom. They keep the door locked. So I was getting gas yesterday. And somebody left to me was getting gas. And they were a little bit finished right before I was. And now, because gas has good prices at BJ's, you know. And so, there are a lot of people getting gas there. It was like $3 and something a gallon. three twenty-five a gallon, three thirty a gallon, something like that. Not terribly expensive compared to California. And... Uh, so she left just before I did, a little bit before I did, and I'm getting ready to pull out because the guy behind me is ready to get gasoline. And I had waited for somebody in front of me that got like 50 gallons of gasoline because they were there till almost sunset. And I got there a little after sunrise. Just joking, but you get the point. So they got their gas, and I felt sorry for them about how much they had to pay for that gasoline. You know, they could have bought that $660 million yacht of Bill Gates, and it runs on, runs on hydrogen. But, so this lady pulls out, gets right in front of me, a little bit ahead of me, and I'm getting ready to pull out too because she's getting ready to go. And all of a sudden, she just stops. Just stops. On this one lane road, you can only go one way. And she opens her door, and she walks very, very slow. And goes to the bathroom. Well, in the middle of the city, she didn't even park. She could have parked her car. She could have made a left turn and parked her car. And everything would have been all right. But she didn't. She just stopped in the middle of the road, opened the door, and walks in. She can't get into the bathroom. She walks as slow as she could to go to the office and get the lady to let her into the bathroom with the key or buzzing her in. All this time, you couldn't get out. 
And so we wait, and she finally comes out, gets in the car, and leaves. Absolutely oblivious to anybody else on planet Earth. Absolutely oblivious to the fact that all she had to do was make a little left turn and parked in the parking space. So I don't know what was going on, but the thing that struck me interesting was how totally indifferent she was to anybody else and blocking the road. It didn't even phase her. And of course, everybody's like, nobody said anything. And so, don't you think that we as human beings should at least be a little bit aware of those around us? To some extent, she could have you know, it just, it was a lesson that is in a, a site that I have not ever seen before. So I kind of thank her for letting me know about how funny people can be. It would have been great for candid camera, except you wouldn't like the language that everybody's shouting out and the Indian vectors that people were saying, but didn't even face her. She took her time walking back. She walked back even slower. Then when she walked out, and got in her car and drove down the road, and then I was able to pull out, and the people behind me were able to pull out, and the people on the left and right side were able to pull out, and all the people that were waiting to get in to get guessing were able to do that. But I couldn't help but wonder, what on earth was she thinking? Did she just simply not care about anybody else? See, it depends on where you are and your ability to remain mindful in the presence of the sacred, the type of life that you have. I was asked a while back to meet a, a lot of college graduates who are just getting just graduating from law school at a prestigious law school. And so I went there and I talked a little bit. And I was with some other luminaries. And... I'm talking to these kids afterwards. To me, they were kids. You have to pardon me. They were young adults, not kids, not youngsters, not children, although they are somebody's children. But here's the thing I couldn't get over. The majority of them were hostile. Hostile. The majority of them were full of dislike, hate. Now, the dean had warned me about them. The dean of this law school used to be a prominent federal judge. And he warned me what I was going to face. And the lady that invited me to give this presentation had warned me a little bit that I might be a little surprised. But I didn't expect that. I found negativism. I found rapid, rapid dislike. I don't know if that's a word. I found argumentation. I found myopic vision, spiritual vision. I found unbelievable language, the way these kids talked. I found that they didn't like each other. But there were three or four of them that were different. Three or four. And they were coming to me, asking me about this, asking me about that, talking to other people, talking to the guests about how they were able to do what they were able to do. Giving business cards, making contacts, networking. 
But everybody else was just doing the difference. They were totally destructive in their conversation. Hated society. Didn't like the world. Just unbelievable. Now you have to ask yourself. The three or four kids that came, youngsters, uh, graduates of law school that came up to us, that were optimistic, that were looking for opportunities, that were socializing and networking. How different will their life be? from that handful of people that I talked to that came to me that used every bad word you can think of in the course of their conversation as if it was absolutely nothing. And all they talked about was they were condemning everything. Nothing was all right. The very fact that they had just graduated from one of the most prestigious law schools in the country hadn't registered on them. Like, where have they been? The fact that they can be part of the, a profession that society depends on to be civilized didn't grab them. It's, they were not mindful of the presence of the sacred at all. They didn't realize they were sacred, their classmates were sacred, that we were sacred. They were just full of vindictive and dislike. And contradiction. Wow, huh? It was right there in front of me. And half the stuff they said was wrong. The other stuff was misinterpreted. And they had no knowledge or experience in the things they were complaining about. Zero. And you ask them where they got that, they would quote the media to me. I heard this say this. And I heard this person on this say this. And they would quote people like a group called what? The View, yeah, a TV show. Called, they were actually quoting those people to me. Those people from The View who are out there generating hate just to make a living. And these were people graduated from law school that were way beyond the intellectual capacity of the people on The View because they're so stunted. I would love to be on that show just to talk to them. Because they can't be real, can they? It's got to be an act, huh? They're being paid to act that way. I mean, nobody is that superficial on purpose. Who are, you know? Even these graduates were not doing it on purpose. It's just the way they ended up. See, one thing they didn't know was critical thinking. And they had no spiritual insight that day when I talked to them. They indicated none. Of course, they had some somewhere. Obviously, they cared about something, but in the wrong way. They needed moral wisdom, and they needed to know how to apply it. And this dean of this law school had talked to me and told me he worries about his profession because these kids were graduating. <laughs> right? What's that say? You know, so gentleness and spirituality can be separate or concurrent. And which one? And how one enriches the other, right? Gentleness and spirituality. These youngsters, these, these young graduates were not gentle. They were anything but that. They didn't even know me. 
Uh, they didn't know the, anybody else there that they were human beings. They didn't. They were just so full of vitriol. So you see, it depends on where you are and your ability to remain mindful of the presence of the sacred. The more mindful you are about that, the fuller your life will become. These graduates will have to grow up. They should already be grown up. All right? Something's not working in their lives. See, giving somebody a great education is a waste if they don't grow up, huh? So here's the third question. How can gentleness be justified as a characteristic characteristic of spirituality? How can gentleness be justified as a characteristic of spirituality? It can be justified both quantitatively and qualitatively in improving the quality of life. That means you can measure the outcome. You can see the results of it. Yeah. How can you just justify it as a characteristic of spirituality? You can see the results of it, friends. You can see the results of it. Yeah. Isn't that neat? You can justify it by the numbers and by the qualities that it improves in somebody's life. For an example, think about yourself. Don't you prefer to be around gentle people rather than aggressive people? Hmm? Don't you see the difference between somebody who's aggressive and hostile and somebody who's gentle? Think about how much different it makes you feel. That's qualitative. And think about all the times you've been with somebody who is aggressive versus all the time you've been with somebody who's gentle and how many more times you would like to be with a gentle person than an aggressive person. It's quantitative, see? Did you know that a gentle person is more contemplative? They think more. And they think deeper. Isn't that something? They're deeper think they're deep thinkers. They contemplate life differently. You know? States of gentleness deepen contemplation. You know? As long as somebody didn't disturb you while you're contemplating, right? You'll lose your gentleness. What? Why are you bothering me now? You know, states of gentleness deepen contemplation. And you think about things, you reflect things. You know, as, as you grow through life, you begin to remember things. It's like you get a second chance to live your life. You'll remember things, good and bad, that you never took seriously when you were younger. Like not saying thank you when you should just, it would have made all the difference in the world. You know, do you contemplate? Do you stop and think? Do you retreat? Remember when I told you about that story of spending 90 days away from civilization? How shocked I was when I came back. Now, I will tell you the thing that was interesting is when that was occurring, I didn't feel anything different every day. I was too busy. I contemplated a lot. I had more energy. 
But I was just living day to day, contemplating and thinking about the things I wanted to think about. You see? But I didn't know how stark things were until I came back to civilization. And I was shocked. Sometimes remembering a certain time in my life out of nowhere makes me feel good. Because there was love at that time. The other day, I found a thumb drive. And on it was some music I had stored a while back. A lot of music I used to listen to was stored on this thumb drive. And I had didn't remember it or anything, so I just put in the thumb drive. And the first piece of music that came up, wow, did it hit me. It reminded me of a time of contemplation when my wife and I would get together and just spend time together saying nothing and just look out and look at the countryside. We're living on a, a nice house on a hill, looking down looking at a valley in California. It was beautiful. And we just sit there and listen to that music and contemplate today. She'd relax, I would relax. I maybe we'd drink some iced tea. But we'd think about purpose and bigger things and about love and wisdom, about our life, about where we wanted to go, about the blessings that we've had. We did that every day to refresh ourselves. We didn't talk to each other. We didn't have conversations with each other. It was a different kind of thing. And we got so busy and things changed and we moved. But I found that thumb drive and I didn't realize that, that was on it. And I put it on. It was the first piece of music that come up. And you know what happened? I was right back there at that time. And it was joyful. And I was remembering how blessed it was and how beautiful it was and how good it was. And I was thankful that I had that experience. I didn't say, oh, too bad it's over. Oh, my gosh, do I miss that? I said, boy, weren't we lucky to be able to have that experience. What a great year that was to be able to do that every day. And to have such a view. And to live in such a nice place. Did I say I missed it? No. Because I'm going on to something new and deeper and better. You see? And that was years ago. See? That's life. That's where you have to be. You have to be able to look back and say, that was a great, great time, but I'm in a great, great time now and a good place now. And I'm so much happy I had that experience. Doesn't mean everything in between was rows and tulips. Right? You have challenges in life. But through a deep spirituality and the gentleness it brings. You have more strength to overcome it. I mean, I remember when I was speaking at that college where they graduated. If that would have happened 20 years ago, I would have been, wow, I'd probably been in an argument with some of those kids. Or your attitude is so bad. Wake up. You're wasting your time and all that stuff. None of it would have meant anything to them. They would have just said, see, see, see. But we grow on. We develop. And remember what matters. You see? 
stays of gentleness deep in contemplation. And the interesting thing about your stasis of gentleness and the contemplation, it strengthens you, clears up your thinking, gets rid of the garbage, enables you to see what really matters and what doesn't. I mean, so many people get involved in so many things that only harm them. You know, and they make a wrong turn with their mind, as our daughter would say. You know, we all go through that, but we have to outgrow it. So we have to have this respect for the sacred among us, and that's each one of us, right? So, so that's it. It's a factor in building self-trust. Gentleness requires rules of engagement with life. Gentleness simplifies one's approach to holiness. So, spirituality is a factor in building self-trust. So do you trust yourself? You know, I don't like the word trust. I don't believe in trusting others. I believe in Mm, watching people's performance and developing confidence in somebody. It's not quite the same thing. You know, a lot of people walk up and they expect you to trust them the first time you meet them. Gosh, that's... You don't live long enough to be able to do something like that. You know, trust is earned. That's the best you can say about trust. It's built on confidence. I know in business we say, do you have confidence that so-and-so can do the job? And you look at their record. If the record is good, then you say yes. If they have a bad record, you say no. You don't really say to somebody, do you trust them to do the job? You know, that's that's not explicit enough. That's not quite quite accurate enough, you know? So that brings us to insight. At the point of insight, aren't we? Insight 53. Did you know that time collapses as we increase our years? Ever think of that? Time collapses as we increase our years. The older you get, the more time collapses. That's kind of a fancy way of saying, do you know how time speeds up when you age? Every year we add to our lives makes the percentage of each year lived smaller. Every year we add to our lives, that makes the percentage of each year lived smaller. For an example, five years is 50% of your life when you're 10 years old, but it's only 25% of your life when you're 20 years old. See what I mean? The more years you get, time collapses because it's less a percentage of your life overall. When you're two years old, one year is half of your life. When you're 100 years old, one year is one hundredth of your life. So therefore, it goes quicker. I had a colleague one time that really specialized in age research and how to extend your life. He wanted to live to be 100 for sure. So he did a lot of things to be 100. He was in the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest ride on a horse ever, on the same horse. He rode more miles than any other person alive. Yes, he had this one horse that he rode all the time in California. 
I was a co-founder of a university. He went to Vanderbilt University. He was a psychologist, really a, kind of a neat guy. I talked to him for a while. We were talking about doing business together. But he was an age researcher about he's the psychology side, the emotional side of aging. It was big on him. And the interplay between the physical, like diet and medicine, that part of health and the emotional part of health, how to combine it. So he had a, a web address that was about living to be over 100. And he used to talk about the collapse of time, how we have no control over it, how things just speed up as you get older. Now, I can tell you in my case that a week is like a day and a month is like a week and a year is like a quarter, three months. It just goes so fast. See, just really, really fast. And it's, I'm a busy guy busy as I've ever been. Uh, I've added this podcast because so many people ask me to share some of the insights I've learned in my lifetime. All right, I've done that. And I'll probably keep doing this because it's so much fun and I'm having some pretty good comments. Some not so good either. All right, it's, this is all right. You know, got, got to remember one of the things I said early People can love you and they can hate you and it has nothing to do with you. Right? So, think about what you do with your time as you grow old. It becomes more valuable, right? So you have to use it wisely. You know, it would be good if you can spend some time developing gentleness so you can connect with the spiritual side of your life. You know, that's so important. To be able to do that. And I would like to tell you that. It's going to go fast. Whether you like it or not. It's how you choose to use your time. That determines the quality that your life has. And how you prepare yourself. To make decisions. How you can look at decisions you make. With peace of conscience. You know. All these things really matter. You know, remember what I said about when I would go to retirement homes for the you know, retirement homes. People would spend their last years of their life. Right. And how they would spend it. And what the things they would think about. How quack, quick, quack, how quick it would go. How quick it went. But how lonely they were and how they couldn't make friends. You know, there was one guy named Frank I used to go see and visit him once a week. He lived in San Francisco, him and his wife. Let me tell you his story. Him and his wife were walking down the street one day and a guy tries to snatch his pur her purse, his wife's purse. She grabs her purse. She fell to the curve, hit her head on the street and she died. They were in their 60s at the time, I think. They were elderly. This guy ran off with her purse and he had killed this woman. Huh? And, they, and he, the family put him in this home out by my way. I would go see him once a week. And a couple of things I learned. Number one, some people are very, very sick and they just hang on and hang on and you think you'll never see him again. 
but they outlive everybody. And some people that seem very, very healthier, and you think they're 40 years old instead of 85, and they come in one week and they're gone. Never knew. It was so surprising that people you expected to still be there were not. And people you expected to be gone were not. And the other thing that you did not expect is that when these people died, like my friend Frank, who I did not expect to die, and you go there, and their family is there cleaning up after them, getting their personal belongings, and you get to know the family, right? And they're often not the way they were described by their dads who had just departed. He would describe them as the best people that ever lived. If you could write a model of the best human being that ever lived, it would be these people every single time. And then you talk to them, and you don't like them. Some of them are even happy that they don't have to come visit their mom and dad again. Not that they did much in the first place. Well, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad that part of our life is over. Yeah, we had the funeral. That's done. Now we can get on with our life. But once in a while, you'd have this sadness. You'd have the tears. Because they were great people who had left. And they had great kids. But not as a rule. As a rule, you had kids who were complaining. But... Uh, way they had to go out of their way to visit them, uh, about having to clean up after them, like getting their books that they were reading instead of saying, I wonder what my dad or mom were reading. Isn't that interesting? They like this. I didn't know that. No, it was none of that. They'd just take it and just throw it in the garbage. They wouldn't even take it home. I'd say, okay, you guys can have it. I'd just give it away. But there was no sentimentality. There was like finality so they can get on with their life. There was an absence of love. It was really a remarkable thing to see that. And then I, then I would always realize why these folks were so unhappy. Not unhappy. Why they were so lonely. Because relatives didn't come see them very often. I remember one lady I was visiting. She had come up from Southern California. She's in this home, this uh, retirement home community. I would visit her. And she would, we lived several miles from a Catholic church. And she would walk every morning to Catholic Mass down the side of the road. It was a couple hours to walk there. Not a couple hours, it was a couple miles. There's no sidewalk. It was like you had this town and then this long road and this road had no sidewalks. It had uh, country, it's like country, like an old farm, right? And uh, they were selling stuff there, like oranges and stuff like that. You know, you could go there and buy these oranges and pick them from the trees. It was kind of a layout similar to that. So she would walk to this church, Catholic church, and go to 8 o'clock mass in the morning. And then she'd walk home. I think her name was Dorothy. And she used to tell me that when she lived in L.A., she lived right next to the Catholic church and would go to the church every day and assist with the duties of the church, helping people, making, helping priests make phone calls, all this stuff. She was useful. She was a volunteer in that parish, and she loved it. But her children wanted her near them. 
so they could keep an eye on her. You see? And so what happened was uh, they wouldn't come visit her. So they had her up there now. She sold her home. She moved into this retirement community. And they were always too busy to visit her. They'd go on vacation and wouldn't take her with her. They'd leave her at home. They'd leave her there or they'd go on two-week vacation to Europe or something. So they pretty much abandoned her. So all the stuff she was used to doing, she wasn't able to do. But she still was a devout Catholic and would go to church. Well, one day I go to see Dorothy and she's not there. You know what happened to her? She was killed. She's by a car. Car hit her. And she rode, walked down the side of the road to go to church. She was going to Mass. Sit by a car on the way to work, I guess. Isn't that something? So these people came back and they visited her, you know, and her she had died. And now they were cleaning up after her and all that stuff, right? But she loved them. But she was always bothered by the fact that they talked her into selling the home so she could be closer to them. And she would tell me things like, they talked to me more when I lived in L.A. than when I lived in the Bay Area. Now that I live in the Bay Area, they don't call me every day because I'm nearby. But they don't come see me either. And then I say to her one day, well, how are they? How are you doing today? Well, I'm fine. How's your family? I don't know. They went so-and-so on vacation. And they just left me here. Didn't invite me to go. So, so life is not a box of chocolates. Don't care what the movies say. So human beings are complex complex and complicated you know not only does time collapse maybe time goes faster so we don't have to put up with the bs so much you know that we don't notice it so much now the thing i can remember about these people is they never complained even dorothy never complained i would ask questions and that's how i would learn but they didn't complain they didn't dislike them they didn't hate them Dorothy was bothered because she had to give up her home to be abandoned. Okay? Frank never came. He bragged about his kids all the time. You see? Love. Love is a decision. Right? Love. It is heroic to be a lover. But we're lovers because life is sacred and we're all sacred. And if we can't love one another, we're pretty empty. All right? So there's a lot of empty people out there. So, time is for the facts of life. There's a fact of life. Prudence is the virtue that clarifies the cardinal virtues. Justice, fidelity, self-care. Prudence is the virtue that clarifies that. It puts them together. I give an example. Justice and fidelity can conflict, right? Because prudence mitigates and clarifies how these virtues work together. You see? Because what we find in life today is conflicts of the good over the good, not the good over the bad. Should we be more just or more faithful? For an example, this lady I talked about recently, she turned in her son for robbing people on the train. Now, was she being faithful? Or was she being more just? 
or did she manage to mitigate this in such a way that by being just, she had to be faithful and to be faithful to her son. She had to teach him a lesson of justice so he could turn around his life. Some people believe this is my son. No matter what they do, I will never turn them in because I'm faithful. I'm faithful more than anything else. I'm faithful. Some people will say, I am so just that I will even turn in my kids. So you see, there's there's a balance here. So how do you manage all of this? Prudence. You learn to be very prudent because that will deform your conscience. Inform your conscience. Prudence will inform your conscience. Inform it in such a way that you can live a life that's virtuous. You can habitually, willfully be a just and prudent person. And be faithful. And you'll learn to know when you should not be faithful. And when you should be faithful by being prudent. Prudent is a habit of the will and a habit of the intellect when, it, when this is a virtue. All right? It's very, very important. So prudence is the virtue that clarifies the cardinal virtues. So moral development is not for an individual to perfect one's powers, but rather for a person to realize rightly the variety of ways that we are relational. James F. Keenan said that. I changed it a little bit. Moral development is not for an individual to perfect one's powers, but rather for a person to realize rightly the variety of ways that we are relational. Remember that. So guess what? Our time is up. We're done with uh, episode 10, part 11. Part 11, can that possibly be right? So thank you for joining me on this discussion about applying moral wisdom. I will be back with episode 10, part 12 next week. We'll be wrapping this up pretty soon. We'll be starting a new series. I hope you're getting something out of it. And uh, hope you're thinking about uh, gentleness and learning to be more gentle and uh, understanding what that means. Hope you understand the value of virtues and uh, making decisions about one good versus another good. And I hope you think more about uh, how you feel things based on the values that you have. That what your emotions tell you about what you really value. You know, and uh, about what kind of life that you want to live as you go through life. And uh, that simplicity is really important to simplify one's life. Not to be simple-minded, right? Because <laughs> we're not simple-minded. We're very complex beings. But there's never been uh, a person like any of you out there before. You're pretty unique. And uh, you can do wonderful things. And uh, I hope uh, this kind of encourages you to look at life in a new way and uh, intrigues you somewhat. And uh, it might not be perfect, but it's food for thought. And that leading simple life comes from making better decisions and having better friendships. So I am Ray Newkirk. Systems Management Institute, 407-864-7756, rnewkirk at smilc.info, www.smirsp.com, forever forward is how I look at life. 
We're always going forward. Can't go backward. You know, that's what prudence is about. Prudence is about going forward. All right. So thank you for listening. We'll continue with this discussion soon. So good afternoon.